Hey guys, before we get started with this episode of Madison Story Slam, I would like to take a minute to thank our sponsors. This episode, as is every episode, is sponsored by Ale Asylum. Ale Asylum makes great beer for great people, and we are happy to have them be a part of what we're doing at Madison Story Slam. This episode is also sponsored by the great people at Olson Vacuum Cleaner Sales and Service. Olson Vacuum Cleaner Sale and Service has two stores serving the Madison and Southern Wisconsin area since 1943. If you've got a dirty floor and no way to clean it, go see the friendly guys over at Olson Vacuum. Like I said, they've got two locations, one on the east side and one on the west side of Madison. You can see them on the east side at 1978 South Stoughton Road and on the west side at 6801 Odana Road. Do us a favor, go see them for all of your needs. If you need to buy a vacuum or you've got a vacuum that isn't quite running right, they can set you up. Thank you to Ale Asylum and thank you to Olson Vacuum. Now on to the show. Hello, welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. I am your host, Adam Rosted here, bringing you some wonderful stories from our February 17th, 2018 event, There Will Be Blood. Uh, just a warning, fellas. Uh, I knew what I was getting into, and I say this several times throughout the episode. I knew what I was getting into when I chose this theme, but uh, guys, if you are somebody who's squeamish, about, I don't know, Aunt Flo. Uh, I don't know, let's just say it. Menstruation. I'm getting dirty. About reproduction and, you know, all that that entails. This might not be the episode for you, but uh, maybe I should just tell you to get over it, man up, and listen, because let me tell you, all of the stories in this episode are incredible. They're funny, they're amazing, and just like the storytellers, they're worth a listen. I don't know what that meant, but it sounded good as I said it. Hey, our next Story Slam is Saturday, March 17th. The theme then is going to be big, so we want you to come tell some great stories about the big things in your lives. Any, Any way that you can make a story fit that theme, we want to hear those stories. We know you have them. We want them. So let's get them. Uh, And then on May 12th, that's the other big date that you should remember. May 12th at Mr. Roberts on Atwood. We are doing our first new event since the inception of Madison Story Slam. This event is called Read It and Weep. And we want you to come read old journal entries, letters, short stories, anything you wrote before the age of 18 or something you've written that you have at least 10 years separation from. We don't really want to hear things that you wrote in your day planner last week as you were listening to your secretary or administrative assistant, I'm sorry. Anyway, um, what else can I tell you about? There's not a lot going on. Except, I mean, there's tons going on, let's be honest. We've got t-shirts coming, we've got the new CDs out. You can get those things at our Story Slam events. Speaking of the t-shirts, we're currently doing a GoFundMe as a pre-order for t-shirts. So if you want a t-shirt, go to our Facebook page. That is facebook.com slash Madison Story Slam. We are going to be posting about that GoFundMe and you can figure out how to get some t-shirts. Hey, first up on this episode is Erica Solis. We've got Ken Fager, Bradley Glassell, Brittany Talander, Zachary Shea, and Gwyneth Delop. But first, like I said, here's Erica. Um, so when I was about 18 years old, I made friends with some people that lived in Ontario. And uh, my car was shit and plane tickets were expensive, so I took a Greyhound bus. And this was around the time that 9-11 was happening, so the border was kind of like, everyone was a little hair trigger. 
And uh, if you drive a car to Ontario, to Toronto, where my friends lived, it takes about 10 hours. Um, when you drive going through to Canada on a Greyhound bus, it takes about 11. When you're driving home to the United States, it takes as long as it takes at the border. Uh, and that was always a really nebulous time. So it was really interesting because you'd go across the border into Canada and they'd be like, enjoy the country, eh? You know, and you'd be like, uh, thank you. Okay, do you even want to see my passport? And I was just like, you're fine, it's fine. Um, and so it was just always very cheery. And then, uh, you know, you'd come back and you'd go across uh, to the United States Customs and they'd be like, why did you want to leave this wonderful country? What were you doing in Canada? And you're like, it's, I went to the Middle East, it's, I mean, it's basically the United States. Um, it's not really that big of a deal, but it was just like always this uh, you know, really like hard-eyed interrogation. And I always had this like idea that like someday I was gonna make him like regret being assholes, but also was like, oh, I can't, that's terrifying. Um, but I got my chance one day. <laughs> and um, I had started my period on the bus, and you know, like the, bath the, the uh, trash can in the bathroom was, the size of like my fist. So I was like, well, I can't like take up the entire trash can with like bloody underwear. So I will put them back in my bag. And so I put them back in my bag and then I'm going across the border and they're doing what they always do, which is take out all your stuff, <laughs> throw it in front of everyone and then go and let you like try to put it back together. Um, and so again, I just like, you know, I just, hadn't gotten to the point where I'm like, yeah, I have a period, fuck you. You know, so I was just like very, very mortified that um, they were in there. And, um, you know, he starts, to, the border guard opens my, you know, bag out and he starts to like search through it and he's going for that zippered pouch. And I go, no, don't. <laughs> right, so of course he's like, and I, I swear to God, sticks his hand in and goes, aha! <laughs> and we both make eye contact, like this was a, a, a recent period experience, they're like, not dry. <laughs> and uh, we just like make this eye contact and he looks at me and puts them back in the bag. And I realized that in German, there's probably a word for being completely mortified and also like absolutely delighted. Uh, but I don't know German and I don't know what it is. Um, but it probably exists. Uh, and um, that was how I felt. And it was wonderful because he was not wearing gloves. <laughs> Thank you, Erica. You know, I knew what I was getting into when I chose this thing. The, the last month, everybody who's asked me what the theme is, I'll tell them and then they'll go, you know you're gonna get period stories, right? <laughs> yes, I do. So thank you for popping the cherry, Erica. Our next storyteller, uh, I'm going to embarrass my wife. Our next storyteller, uh, my wife loves one of his stories that he tells because of one reason. It's a great story regardless, but you, you talked about how you like to explore abandoned buildings, right? You take photos. Yeah. And in it, you said, you, you were saying buildings, but you said building and then you added the S, and we, <laughs> we both love it so much, because it's just like, like, you don't even, like you're like, so then I went to, to I found all of these buildings, and we dend, like he didn't even, it didn't even phase him, it was so amazing. So our next storyteller is wonderful, I love him, he's a great photographer, you should, is it KenFager.com? Yes. You can find his amazing photography at KenFager.com. It is Ken Fager! <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my story kind of begins at the tail end of the darkest period of my life. I went through a period of depression and drinking and divorce. And when I came out on the other side, 
I decided, you know what? I need to do something. I need to mark this occasion in some way, shape, or form. So without any reservations, I got into my car and I drove Route 66 and it was amazing. Um, and along the way, uh, I had a friend in Las Vegas that I called up and said, hey, I'm in town. I wanna photograph some dangerous abandoned buildings and see some stuff. So she drove me north of Area 51. We went to an area called Tonopah, which they've got that creepy clown motel at. And right next door, for a little ambiance, there's like a graveyard next to it. But we had shot all day these abandoned mining communities where that existed way before the EPA, and there were like cyanide pilings out on the sand, and we went into some of the mines and stuff. It was awesome. But uh, I did wear protective gear. I wasn't feeling so hot afterwards, and my nose really itched on the drive back. And then the next day, I had these rashes, and then I got to LA, and then these little bumps started forming all over my body, and they didn't hurt at the time. I didn't think much of it. I would put antibiotic on it. And eventually, I got back to Wisconsin, and there was this bump on the inner side of my wrist that was just getting a little bigger. And it started itching, and all right, I'll just put some antibiotic on it, call it a day, whatever, go about my business. Just kept growing and growing. And it finally just got so big that I went into urgent care, and the doctor came in and looked at it and said, oh, it's an ingrown hair, Here, here's a little uh, low-level antibiotic, just take this for a couple of days, you'll be fine. That's it, just sent me on my way, like barely looked at it. Whole experience took maybe 15 minutes tops. Well, this bump just keeps on growing and growing, and are there any on-call nurses here? Because you guys are saints, because I said some really choice words to the on-call nurse every single night. But finally, after about a week, I just I couldn't take it anymore, so I snapped a photo, sent it to my doctor, it's like a Thursday at like 10 o'clock, get to work at eight o'clock the next morning, I get a phone call, it's my doctor. And he goes, you need to come in right now. So I leave work, go in, get to see him. I didn't like my doctor that much, but this all changed. He comes into the room and he goes, well, let's see it. Pull the bandages off and he goes, Without min I'm not mincing words here, that's fucked up. <laughs> I now like my doctor. So he disappears right away, and he comes back five minutes later, and he pokes his head and goes, do you eat or drink anything today? No. Great, I'll be right back. Comes back about a minute later. Okay, here's the plan. I can cut you open right now, or I can send you down the street, and you can have professionals who play with knives for a living cut you open. And I was like, it's pretty clear what we're gonna do. So I, I am walking to the hospital. I go to the clinic on Fish Hatch, and I'm just walking to St. Mary's. And by the time I get to St. Mary's, they know I'm coming, and they know that they're going to see something special. They're going to see this giant red ball that's growing on the inner side of my wrist. So they get me in right away. Like, I walk up to the desk and be like, they're like, oh, you must be Ken. <laughs> like, like, I'm some big celebrity or something. It felt really nice, but... Uh, so... I'm in the, I'm in, they put me in the little room, they hook up the IVs, and there are all these doctors coming to see me and nurses from other departments who have no business with what, what's going on here. And it's kind of nice. Some of the nurses are pretty attractive. I'm kind of enjoying the attention. And after a while, they get me ready for surgery. And, you know, they put in the drugs, and I'm just kind of like, oh, man just kind of mellowed out, this is nice, and they put you on the table to have an operation, and I'd never had an operation before, and they put the mask on, and they tell you to count back from 100, and I didn't do that. I went, oh, this is some good shit. <laughs> but anyway, I woke up after a little while, and they kept me in the hospital for a couple of days because after they took uh, the swabs of the area, it takes like 48 hours to kind of confirm what was going on there. And the infectious disease doctor comes in and she's kind of explaining everything and they go, uh, and before she tells me what the diagnosis is, my mom, my mom came down. She, they had spent a couple of days in the hospital with me. The thing you should know about my mom, she's a nurse. 
She's been a nurse for 38 years or something at the, like, the same hospital, so she knows a little bit. And of course, that mama bear instinct is kicking in like every step of the way. She's questioning every doctor that comes in. My son is not getting the proper treatment he needs. This shouldn't be happening. Like She, she knows what's best, right? But she's looking out for me. Love is sometimes oppressive, whatever. The infectious disease doctor comes in, and I, they have me pumped up on so many painkillers and opioids, and I'm not saying anything. I'm just kind of laying in the bed. And the infectious disease doctor says, oh, it's MRSA. And my mom launches into a bunch of questions right away, and the doctor finally stops her and goes, oh, you've read a little bit. And I just... <laughs> I, I just lost my, I, I lost it. I started laughing so hard, the doctor looked so confused. Anyway, they discharged me from the hospital. They put me on oxycodone afterwards. Yes, the, op- the oxycodone, the terrible opioid. It made me so spacey. I lost track of all time. I watched the same documentary on Netflix three times in a row. Didn't even realize it. And that's like a hard to do with Netflix. Didn't like it. Uh, but fortunately, I uh, had some alternative medicine, some alternative herbs from Colorado to help me along the way. <laughs> that was much better. About a week later, uh, the, they took the bandages off. The skin had all necrotized. So I had to go get a, get a transplant, a skin transplant, like a graft. So they took the skin from my side, and they patched it on there. They sent me on my way with more opioids, and... I was so fuzzy at the time, I, I just don't remember a lot from that period of my life, but the doctors had kind of realized, oh, well, another thing you should know about me is that I'm diabetic. So the stakes are a little higher, so they're, they're seeing me every day, uh, I'm going in to see this doctor, I'm going across town to see that doctor, I'm being what I think is well taken care of. And during this period, none of the doctors tell me that when they took the skin from the donor site and put in 16 staples, you can see that nice scar right there, they didn't tell me how long those staples were supposed to stay in. So I went about my business, I start resuming going back to work, I start working out at the gym, the site's looking really good, it's looking really pink, but then after a while, it gets infected again. And I'm in a lot of pain, and it turns red, and there's all this pus coming out my side, and I can barely move. And I take a picture, and I send it into the doctors, and I go see them. And the doctor comes and sees me, and it's May 24th at this point. My surgery was April 21st, the skin graft surgery. And I'll never forget it. The nurse practitioner there goes, oh, when'd you get your staples removed? Uh, they're, they're still there. Oh, uh, well, those are supposed to come out after 10 to 14 days. When was your surgery? Oh, the 21st. Three days ago? No, like a month ago. So her eyes get really big. And she's looking at the record, she's reading everything, and she goes, <gasps> and you're diabetic? And I was like, yeah, this is kinda, kind of a big deal. And she's like, yeah, this is a big deal. So her and a nurse's assistant take the staples out one by one, and I'm swearing like a sailor, pounding on the table, and I'm reminding them, I am not angry at you. I am angry at what is going on here. <laughs> And after they pull out the staples, I go, oh, by the way, I have another one of those pimples. It's on my hand. And they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to be done with this. So this thing flares up, and I need a surgery again a week later. And fortunately, that one healed up after time. It took about four months to get through all of this. But, you know, I, some people get tattoos to mark occasions in their lives. And that's fine. That's cool. It's not for me. 
I had told you at the beginning of the story that I had survived depression and a terrible drinking and a divorce. And for once, it felt good to have the scars on the outside rather than on the inside. And I'm going I'm to borrow Aretha Franklin's lyrics here. I've got all my life to live. I've got all my love to give. And I will survive. I will survive. Thank you, Ken. Speaking of MRSA, <laughs> what a casual thing to say. Uh, speaking of MRSA, on our uh, first best of CD, These Are Their Stories, Volume 1, an old Story Slam friend named Don Means told a story about his ex wife and when she was his girlfriend. And uh, they were traveling through California to uh, see her family and then her, like, step-grandmother-in-law or something. I don't know. She died somehow. I, somebody died, right? And she, uh, she had a bunch of cats that she would let, like, poop all over her house. And she stepped on some broken glass and got MRSA and died. And the title of that story is Mercery Loves Company. Please put your hands together for one of my favorite people that comes to Story Slam. And honestly, one of the reasons that I still do Story Slam, it's Bradley Glassell. No build up there, no pressure, no pressure at all, none. So uh, I grew up in Milwaukee and I went to a small Catholic high school called Notre Dame High School, which I think closed down about two years after I left and that's what I like to call a coincidence. But uh, I had a good friends at high school, and actually those friends are still my good friends. And there's like six couples, and we get together every once in a while over the years, and we do things, and we start going on little trips together. We'd go away for a weekend or something like that and, and have some fun. And uh, then we decided to go on a bigger trip. You know, let's do something bigger. Let's do something more than just a weekend or something like that. So you got to figure right off the bat, getting six couples together to agree on anything is not an easy thing. So you're saying, okay, well, let's do something fun. Let's do something big. And we started, like, having meetings. We'd get together with these meetings and, and start talking about what you're doing and all this. And some people, I have to have this and I have to have that and all this kind of stuff. And we started throwing out ideas of what we're going to do. And so, like, somebody said, well, let's go on a cruise. And we were going to go, like, the first week in August. And somebody's like, well, that's the start of hurricane season. So, you know, we can't go on a cruise because that's the start of hurricane season, you know, so we can't do that. And somebody said, well, let's go to New York. Well, we, you know, somebody was like too afraid of New York. You can't go to New York, you know, you might get mugged there, you know. And I actually threw out, let's go to Jamaica. You know, I said, Dude, you know, I found this villa on the ocean we could rent. It really wasn't even that expensive. Well, that was a radical concept. We're going to die in Jamaica. You know, there's no way, right? I mean, Jamaica, way too dangerous to go there. So we settled on Castle Rock Lake in Wisconsin. <laughs> very exotic. So, so we go to, you know, Castle Rock Lake in Wisconsin. We rented these condos. We had a fun time, you know, these group, you get these, you know, long-term friends together and had a lot of fun. And we actually had like committees. We had the food committee. I was on the, the uh, housing committee, which was a real challenge, you know, that way, as, as you can tell. But uh, we had like a food committee. We had an entertainment committee, that. And so the last day we were there, the entertainment committee had set up for us to rent a pontoon boat to go out on Castle Rock Lake. So we, we were renting this pontoon boat. So we go down, my wife and I go down to rent the pontoon boat because she was on the entertainment committee. So, and I'm not going to blame her for the rest of the story. But uh, 
So we go down to rent the pontoon boat and go up to the pontoon boat and a, I think it was like a 12-year-old showing us the pontoon boat. You know, I'm exaggerating because I'm old, but, you know, as a young guy. And he starts showing us around the pontoon boat. Now, I've been in insurance for a long time, so what's the first thing I say? What's the insurance on the boat? He's like, well, there isn't any insurance. I said, well, I want to take out. We don't offer insurance. I'm like, okay, great. He said, well, what if we hit a rock and break the propeller or something like that? He goes, that's your fault. And I said, well, let's look at the propeller. He lifts it up. It's like mangled to hell. Oh, okay. We won't worry about the propeller. And he starts like showing us, you know, the spino- well, the speedometer doesn't work. Well, th- this doesn't work and this doesn't work and all that. And we're like, okay, great. Well, so we get everybody together and we start heading out onto the, to the lake. Now, we knew that there were going to be storms in the afternoon. So... That's always a good plan when you know there's going to be storms coming in to go out on a big lake. But we, the entertainment committee had it set up, so we can't go against the entertainment committee, right? <laughs> you know, who would do that? So we go out on the lake, we spend a couple hours, we brought food, we bought drink, you know, your typical thing, going out on the lake, having some fun and all. And, and we decide, you know, it's probably time to start heading in. And we're sitting out in the middle of the lake, we are basically anchored out in the lake. And we go to start up the motor, and I don't know anybody you've ever been boaters, and you get that that warning signal on the motor. Well, we've got some experienced people along. They start taking the cover off the motor now. We actually determined it was the impeller on it, so basically you cannot drive the boat. The boat is undrivable. It's like, oh, Christ, okay. So we call the resort, and we said, hey, we're stuck out here on the middle of the lake. They said, okay, we'll send somebody out to get you guys. So we're sitting out there for a while. And a matter of fact, afterwards, we looked at some pictures. There's one of my wife and I sitting there. Somebody took a picture smiling, and in the background is like a black strip along the horizon. And we start looking at it, and we're like, you know, worried. Well, here comes a boat. Now, what do they do? They send out another pontoon boat to tow us back. Anybody boaters, again, they don't have a lot of power, you know. You really shouldn't send out a pontoon boat. It should be something like that. So these two guys come with a pontoon boat, and they have a rope, and they throw us a rope, and we tie it onto our pontoon boat, and, and we start chugging along slowly. Well, all of a sudden, it starts to rain starts to rain and the wind starts to whip up and the wind whips up more and more and more and we are basically in a hurricane and we're out on a lake in Wisconsin and the swells start coming up and it's getting worse and worse and worse and I'm watching the boat in front of us going over waves and coming back down and I'm like that motor's going to go underwater and if we lose power we're screwed and it gets worse and worse and all of a sudden, the waves are getting to the point. We're on a pontoon boat, and we've got like eight inches of water on the boat. Everybody starts going, grab life preservers. We got those beautiful, like, orange life preservers on. We start putting life preservers on, and we've got people, okay, when the boat goes down, you grab a partner, and you stay with the boat. <laughs> <clears throat> I've been on a lot of boats. I've never been so scared in my life. I'm like, we are going to die. Somebody's going to die in this thing. It was that bad. It really was that bad. So <clears throat> we're coming along, and, and the, in front of us, their bimini top is about to fly off, and they're grabbing it, and all of a sudden, there's a little bit of a break in the storm, and we couldn't even see the shore until it broke. We didn't even know we were going, and there was a little bit of a break in the storm, and so they start heading into shore a little bit, and it breaks a little bit more, and they start heading towards the resort, and we're yelling, no, 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 get us to shore. So they, they pull into shore. We get off the boat. One of the mile, and they said, okay, we'll wait till the storm breaks, and then we'll pull you back. And one of the more mild-mannered people from the group goes, I ain't getting back on that fucking boat. So, <laughs> So we go in, and there's a bar there. We go in the bar, and immediately start drinking shots and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And they ended up bringing cars to draw us back and all that. And, and basically, the next morning, we went to sign and get rid of all the contract and everything for the boat and come up. And we walk up to the counter, and we said, we're the ones with the pontoon boat. And they go, oh, oh yeah, the people that almost died, yeah, yeah we're not going to charge you for, for that one. So... So basically, the moral of the story is 
It's too dangerous to go to New York. It's too dangerous to go on a cruise. You can't go to Jamaica. You can just almost die in Wisconsin. <laughs> Hey guys, hope you are enjoying all of these wonderful stories that we had at Story Slam There Will Be Blood. We had a great time that night, and if you have never been to a Story Slam before, you've got an opportunity coming up on March 17th for Story Slam Big. It's going to be fun. We're going to have great stories, great people, great beer from Ale Asylum. It's just going to be a good time. You should come on out. Coming to the Story Slam events is the best way to support what we're doing in Madison. But maybe you're looking for another way to support what we do. If you head over to madisonstoryslam.podbean.com, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, in the upper right-hand corner, there's a button that says Become a Patron. If you click that button, it'll take you to a page and it'll explain how you can financially support the things that you enjoy, us being one of those things. You can support us with a monthly pledge, and that money goes to pay off our podcast hosting fees, the website fees, raffle prizes, doing merch, all the kinds of things that we do that we pay out of pocket for sometimes if we don't cover it with Story Slam. We love putting out a free show, and we commit to always having our live events be free, and we just thought maybe you'd like to show a little more appreciation. But no pressure. Here's more stories. Hi there, everybody. How are you? Um, So I'm 27 years old, and as you can tell, um, I probably have terrible taste in men. (laughs) Like a lot of millennials in this room. Started out innocent enough having crushes, you know, on the jocks in middle school. In uh, high school, it was the theater kids, which didn't really pan out because most of them are gay. Um, It was great. It was fine. Once I graduated high school, right to skater guys. You know what I mean? Terrible people. (laughs) (laughs) Filled to the brim with malt liquor. You know what I mean? Mad Dog 2020 just runs through their veins. Um, After that, train hoppers. Full disclosure. People who spent their time hopping from train to train, crashing at punk houses in Kansas City, Missouri. Um... So I I just really have a great track record. Um, And this is kind of a story about my terrible taste in men. Um, I was at brunch a little while back, uh, shortly after Beyonce's Lemonade album dropped. Absolutely. Can we get a a better applause for Beyonce? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I was was at brunch with a, a group of my friends, and we were talking about Beyonce's new album, Lemonade, and we were kind of sharing stories about the most petty uh, things that we've ever done to get back in an ex. And a lot of my friends had great answers. You know, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, I keyed his car or I poured bleach on his clothes. My one friend was like, yeah, I uh, fucked his best friend. And then his brother. And then his dad. <laughs> Good for her. That motherfucker gives you HPV, you better sleep with his dad. You know what I mean? Keep it in the family. Uh, Right. We're not going to get dark here at all. Uh, And I I often ask questions that I know I have the best answer to. So I share with them a little revenge story that I'm going to share with you. Um, After after the train hoppers, I I dated this guy for a while. And... um, A lot of you are probably wondering, wait, why hasn't she dated a musician yet? (laughs) He was a guitarist, and he was tall, and he was hot. I could just tell, like, we would have a lot of sexual chemistry, and we did, and it was wonderful. And I didn't want anything serious. He didn't want anything serious. I thought that this was a mutual agreement. But the funny thing is, whenever um, you tell a guy not to do something, chances are they're probably going to do it. (laughs) So when I asked him, yes, let's keep this in open relationships, let's keep it fun, lighthearted, just don't have sex with any one of my friends. (laughs) 
I walk into work one day and my friend so lovingly describes what she calls as a shame over. Anybody heard of this? She should trademark it because it's brilliant. Um, she described a shame over and does anybody want to guess who it was with? The guy I was dating casually. And I don't want to like use his name or anything. You know, I don't want to say Zach. Um, so let's just create a pet name, shall we? Let's call him Hot Garbage Juice, right? So Hot Garbage Juice, before I can even message him to tell him what the fuck, you know, with like a bunch of like really angry emojis, like the gun and the poop emoji, the angry red face, um, he already texts me and he says, Brittany, I did something terrible. We need to talk. I respond with, please lose my number, forget that I exist. But he's persistent, you know what I mean? There's nothing holding this guy back. He's not picking up on any of the clues. Finally, he texts me after like weeks and weeks and he says, I got a new mattress, wanna break it in? Ladies, what we all wanna hear, right? <laughs> and I respond, be there in 15. because I have a lot of integrity. Um, and to be fair, hot garbage juice really did go all out. You know what I mean? He, uh, he got my favorite bottle of rosé. He ordered a pizza. I made him direct order Sex in the City 2. I've never seen an episode of the television show. I was really just pushing, pushing my limit there. Um, and I also like smoked all of his weed. Um, so I had a grand old time, and the night was kind of winding down, and he pulls me close, and I go, no, 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 no. I need to use the little girl's room, but I'll be right back. I'll meet you in the bedroom. And at this point, I have to look at myself in the mirror, and I have to say, all right, Brittany, here's your moment. Don't fuck it up. And I squat over the toilet and I pull out my tampon. You guys didn't think you were gonna be hearing a female comedian and not hear about my period, right? <laughs> All of you are immediately regretting ordering food. You're like, oh, this is not the story slam I wanted to go to, sipping lobster bisque. Um, so I pull out my tampon and I flush it down the toilet because fuck his plumbing. And I go into the bedroom and I crawl in bed and I have never slept so sound in my entire life. <laughs> because the next morning, on his new mattress, <laughs> it was like a CSI crime scene. <laughs> You know that scene in The Shining with the tidal wave of blood? <laughs> the crazy 88 sequence in Kill Bill? There was just a limb in the bed and I had no idea how it got there. And I was obviously so embarrassed, you know? It was so embarrassing for me. And I told them to use hot water even though that sets a stain and hydrogen peroxide will totally work. Because there are a couple things that me and Beyonce have in common besides hundreds of adoring fans and a fat ass. It's a heavy flow and a wide set vagina. Those are the two things. So ladies, when life gives you hot garbage juice, make lemonade. My name's Brittany Tywinder, thank you for your time. Thank you, Brittany. Once again, I knew what I was getting into when I chose this theme. Uh... <laughs> our next storyteller is on both of our, wait, are you on both? Yeah, you are on both. <laughs> I've been drinking. <laughs> our next storyteller is on both of our new best of CDs, they are wonderful stories. One of them is called, I didn't meet Yoda until I was in college or something like that, right? It's, I don't wanna tell you about my awkward teenage sex. That's the other one. Yeah, anyway, he, he talks about sex a lot. <laughs> Please put your hands together for Zachary Shea.
I got real red in the face during that last story because I am not the Zach from her story. <laughs> if you couldn't guess from the card again, I mean, I am, I am not a musician. I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Oh, um, quick change in topic. Uh, I'm going to say something that's going to give a lot of people a lot of feelings. Um, but I, I just want you to accept it, not, not, not with the positive or negative connotations that it might come with in your life and your beliefs and your political views, but just let it wash over as a neutral statement, which is that capitalism is a very powerful thing. And, 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 and I, will, I will get into that later. And perhaps the only thing more powerful is terrifying fathers, but I will also get into that after. Uh, but, like I said, when I pointed out my lovely cardigan, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd, if you hadn't guessed. Um, and I was a Boy Scout which usually go hand in hand, but a lot of people are surprised when I, when they, when I say that, because they're like, you're not the right type of nerd to be. <laughs> like, they're different types of nerds in their head. But uh, at the time I joined Boy Scouts, like, I guess, Cub Scouts, I was, I had just moved to a very small town and started going to school in an even smaller town. And back on the topic of capitalism, when you're in a smaller community as a nerd, you can't specialize, you have to general practice. So <laughs> I, was, I was rather surprised to go to my new school and find out that the kids who brought their Game Boys and played Pokemon under the swings, or under the slides, were also the kids who wanted Airsoft, their first airsoft gun for their 13th birthday. I wasn't that kind of nerd, but they were all doing Boy Scouts and they were the people I hanged out with. So I decided to join Boy Scouts. And my mother decided that she wanted to be involved in my life and she would be our den mother for our Cub Scout troop, um, which of course meant there was never any fun to be had for me, uh, but for everyone else, sure. Unless we had, like, again, my mother was a lovely mother, I don't mean it like that. Um, unless we had a, a, a guest at our meeting, and the guest I remember more than any was Mr. Hopkins, because he came to teach us how to whittle. He, he, he came to our meeting, and when we all got there, lined up along the table for the 10 of us were these 10 new red Swiss pocket knives. And I'm not embarrassed to admit that I was more excited for knives than a person should be without getting profiled as a potential serial killer. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And he had these like pre-made bears that he had cut. Um, they were mostly done, but they weren't rounded, and that's what we were whittling. We were rounding. People are already prepared for me to like stab myself. Calm down. <laughs> there is more story. Um, and we get these uh, these bears, and we start whittling. Uh, and I decide that mine is going to be a Father's Day gift for my father. So I'm whittling super fast, and Mr. Hopkins is like, "Dude, you got to slow down. That is dangerous." And I'm like, "But I want to get it done. I need to be I need to get it done." And he's like, "No, you don't understand. You guys get to keep these knives." And I knew my mother knew that this was coming, but she sort of had this look on her face like she didn't realize how excited that was going to make me, <laughs> which was a little nerve-wracking for her. So I get excited. I immediately slow down because, of course, I don't want to stab myself like any human being. And I take it home, and I know that I'm going to finish this tonight. I'm going to whittle this bear. It's going to be the best bear my dad has ever seen. And I'm going to give it to him as a Father's Day gift. I'm going to sit myself in front of the TV because the other thing about moving to a rural town was that my parents could no longer be that couple who is like, we're too cool for cable. We're not gonna get cable. We don't need that. We can, we can explore the outdoors. You couldn't, we couldn't just get TV in this town, so they had to get cable. And my only experience with cable before this was 
um, snippets of a show called Cow and Chicken at my next door neighbor's <laughs> place. And people who are already laughing know, Cow and Chicken is a weird trip, sidebar. It is, it is bizarre. So I thought cable was just nightmare fuel for the longest <laughs> period of my life. I thought it was just these bizarre, surreal, horrifying cartoon animals. But we get cable, and I am like, this is amazing. There's so much stuff just for me. Um, and I'm flipping through the channels, and I see an ad while I'm whittling for this show, uh, which was called Zoids. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a little bit like Gundam. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a little like Power Rangers. And for those of you who don't know what that is, where have you been? <laughs> It's fighting robots, basically, but instead of, like, sweaty Japanese men in these very restricting costumes knocking each other down a model, it's weird CGI animals. And I've only seen a commercial for the show, and I'm already sold on the toy. Like, I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. My little 10-year-old never-seen-cable brain just melted, and I'm not really paying attention, and the knife goes in my hand. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, ah, what do I do? And then part of my brain was like, you pull the knife out. And I'm like, yes! And then I'm bleeding everywhere, and I'm like, ah, what do I do? So I go, mom! <laughs> And she runs down the stairs because I sound worried. And she's like, what? And my mother is a nurse. And her response is less, oh, my God. And, oh. <laughs> so she takes me into the bathroom. And she cleans up my hand. And my mother, like I said, she was a nurse. She's seen a lot of stuff, a lot worse stuff than this. So she's like, whatever. But she can't just be like, whatever. She's got to be worried about me. So she looks at me, and she's like, Zach, do you think you need to go to the hospital? <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> but then a part of my brain clicks, and it's the part that a minute ago was melting and really wants to see the show that's on at 5.30. So I go, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> That show is garbage, but when I was 10, it was amazing. I was sitting there, my hand was like bandaged up, but still also bleeding like out of the bandages, but I got to watch the show, and it was amazing. And I was like, yes, but my mother is, of course, super worried. So when my dad gets home, he takes me up to my room, and he sits down, and he goes, you think you need to go to the hospital? And at this point, I have to own the story. I can't change my mind, or they're going to start asking questions. So I go, I don't think so. And he peels back the bandage, and he looks at the cut. And he kind of peels back the cut, and you could see the muscle inside, and it was going like I don't, that's not the sound muscles make. <laughs> it was pulsing, that's the point. And he looks at it, and he looks at me, and he looks at it, and he looks at me, and I don't even know if he remembers doing this, but he says, yeah, you might die. <laughs> so I went to the hospital! <laughs> And they stitched me up, and that's the end. <laughs> Let's hear it for Zach one more time. <clears throat> when I was about mm, seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there, it was Halloween time. It was October. That's Halloween time, by the way. <laughs> if you didn't know. Uh, I'm the youngest of three children to my parents. My dad's right here. Give it up for him. His sperm works. <laughs> At least three times it did. Uh, and uh, my brother was kind of a dick to me uh, when I was a little kid. We're cool now. Don't worry. Uh, and my sister and I have always been tight. And uh, I stayed home from school that week for some reason and carved a pumpkin. And I, I got to carve a pumpkin by myself, unsupervised, as an eight-year-old. <laughs> I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> My parents are now divorced, so that makes sense to me. Um, and, uh, and so then, one, like, the day that I got to carve the pumpkin, my brother and sister came home from school, and they're like, well, we want to carve pumpkins. And so they were like, my mom, it was my mom, it was mom. And uh, my mom was like, okay, well, you guys can go outside unsupervised and carve pumpkins. 
And so like, I didn't want to miss out on the fun of knives. So I went out there with them to watch. And my brother, who's the oldest, is you know, doing this intricate thing, and I was watching him because it was interesting. Like, even though he was a dick to me, he knew how to do stuff, right? And so then I'm talking to him, and I remember, like, I wanted to tell my sister to do a specific thing to her pumpkin that I thought would be cool. I don't remember what it was. But I'm talking to my brother over here, and my sister is on this side. For the podcast listeners, I pointed to opposite directions. <laughs> so I'm talking to my sister, or to my brother, and I turn and go, Abby, you should, <laughs> because my sister was trying to uh, cut the top off the pumpkin like this. <laughs> For the podcast listeners, I am doing the stereotypical knife jabbing motion that you would see in a horror movie. And her arm is next to the pumpkin, right? Oh, some of you are gasping already. <laughs> and so she's just hacking away at the top of this pumpkin slips right into her arm and keeps, and she didn't notice. And I watched, <laughs> she didn't even notice. And I saw it happen. And like, I, I said that I screamed right away. I, I did not scream right away because like it was like, my brain was like, nope, turn off. <laughs> and she's just still hacking away at this pumpkin. But every time her heart beats, <laughs> she hit a vein. So every time her heart beat, it was just... <laughs> blood is squirting out all over the picnic table and all over her pumpkin. And she looks at me as I scream, and she's like, what? And I can't speak. <laughs> and I just point and... Uh, when I was even younger, when I was like four, we had a, a cat named Max, and, and he wasn't an outside cat, but sometimes we would put him outside on a leash, and this robin swooped by him to like intimidate him, and he was just like, nope, fuck you, and grabbed it, and then like started eating it, and I remember I couldn't speak at all. All I could, well, the only thing I could speak was, no birdie, no Maxie, no birdie, no Maxie, and that's what it was like when I saw my sister stab herself. I was like, blood out! And she looked down and then she screamed. Incidentally, her pumpkin was fucking amazing that year because it was covered in blood. <laughs> it was so cool. So there will be blood, people. <laughs> Thank you. Our next storyteller is amazing. Please put your hands together for Gwyneth Delap. So I Skyped with my parents this morning and I told them that I would be telling the story of my first period, which, <laughs> I know, another one, um, to which my father said, excellent, and my mom said, no. <laughs> but I'm gonna tell it anyways because I think it's a good story. Um, so I didn't know a lot about periods growing up. They were very mysterious to me. I knew they like involved bleeding and I didn't know exactly like where from and that only women had them and that it's like what made you a woman, which like really didn't make sense to me and that you could eat like a lot of chocolate during them and that's like all I knew. Um, and fifth grade didn't really help with that because we had like the adolescence talk where they sent the girls to one room and the boys to another room and they show you like a very like vague film and then they give you like a gift bag like you've been to a party or something but it has like half a stick of deodorant some like hair ties and lip gloss for the girls and I was like I don't know if I'll be needing this uh, and like one pad and I was like this is all I need to become a woman like I'm ready now um, but I didn't like think much about it uh, until a couple of years later some of my friends started getting their periods and I wanted to know like what what is it like to be a woman and they're like oh yeah for like three days I bleed like this much which like isn't a lot and I was like oh that sounds bad um, but I didn't think much of it and then the day of my first period came and it happened to be a Friday and my parents had left that morning and they were going to be out of town the whole weekend so I was staying with my friends. Um, but it came and I was like, oh, this is probably fine. I have that one pad from my adulthood pack. <laughs> like, I'm ready like, to face the day. Um, but very quickly it became uh, apparent to me that I was bleeding like a lot more than my, my friends had said they had. So I was needing like a lot more pads. So I was like collecting all these from like everyone's lockers. But I was still like ready, but I had to use the bathroom like every 30 minutes because I was like bleeding like so much. 
Uh, and in middle school, they don't really like it when you use the bathroom. They think you're doing something like very suspicious in there. So like if you ask to go more than once, they're like, no, you can't go. Uh, and luckily in the morning, I had all female teachers and I think they like caught on and they like let me go. But in the afternoon, I had social studies with Mr. Marisola. And so I went, like I took my first one in the, in the first half of the class and we always watched like a film on Fridays in the second half. So I'm like, okay, I'll wait until the film when like the lights are down and it will be fine. Uh, and I'm already like bleeding like through my pants, like not a little bit, like a lot, like to my knees. But I'm like, I'll just like wait until the lights are off. That will be better. Uh, so like the film starts and I like wrap my sweatshirt like around, like and I like shuffle back there. I'm like, Mr. Marzal, I need to use the bathroom again. And he's like, No, Gwen, you already went. Like go sit down. And I was like, No, I really need to use the bathroom again. And he's like, Why? And I'm like, I've become a woman. <laughs> and, and it, <laughs> And I really, <laughs> I really need to use the bathroom. So he let me go, and I was really lucky that um, I had like extra pants because I was staying at my friend's house. So I like changed pants, and like no one knew except there was like blood all over the chair. And like the next class came in, they're like, "It must have been juice." And I was like, "Yes, juice!" Like, <laughs> like don't sit there. Um, but I like, go to my friend's house, and like I'm really shy about my first period, so I like. I like tell the mom, but I like don't say a lot, but I'm losing like a lot of blood and it's like really messy and I'm like bleeding all over all the sheets and stuff. And the second day, um, I like don't feel well. And I say like, I'm gonna go lay down. Like, I don't feel good. And they're like, oh, that's fine. Like, go take a nap or something. But I like pass out, like I fainted. I lost so much blood. Uh, so I like bled all over their floor and I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but like it clears up and I go back home and my mom's like, oh, my period was heavy too. And I was like, okay, so this is like a monthly thing now. Like, <laughs> there was like a whole month where I had like a lot of respect for women. I was like, I didn't know like what it took. <laughs> like they only gave me like one pad. Like. <laughs> And like, I had like all these revelations that now are really funny where I was like, I understand the pay gap. Like we just can't go to work like for a week. Like, like how are you supposed to be a woman in the world? Um, but it like happened again. And then my mom's like, oh, this is not normal. And I was like, oh good. <laughs> so we like went in and I uh, like found out I have a blood disease. So my blood doesn't clot, which is why I was like losing so much blood. Um, so they put me on like birth control continuously. So I haven't had to have a period for like 10 years, which is great. Um, uh, so flash forward like five years, I'm in this real alternative charter school and we decide to have a woman's studies class, which side note is illegal in the United States. You can't have women's studies at the high school level, but we were like this weird charter school. So we were like, we just won't tell anyone. Um, so we had this women's studies class and I was talking with my teacher and he was like, Gwen, like seeing that as you have this like relationship with your period, cause yes, he knew about my relationship with my period. He was like, I think you should like lead a class on menstruation. And I was like, cool, that sounds like a great idea, John. Um, so I like make this whole class about menstruation and he's like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna be there on Tuesday. So uh, like you just take the class, it'll be fine, which is pretty typical. Um, so we had a substitute, and normally like subs don't get a lesson plan at our school. Like they just came in and they would like read a book or something. But they were like welcome to hang out with us too. And our sub that day was Mr. Swanson, who is like this really nice like war veteran who like teaches baseball, but he's like pretty like straight laced. <laughs> um, and he always wanted to sit on everyone's classes. And for this women's studies class, we did this thing where we separated the men from the women for the first half of the class, then we come together for the second half. Uh, so the women were in a separate room and Mr. Swanson comes in and he sits down with us. Um, and everyone's really silent because we're like talking about menstruation together in the women's group. And I was like, Mr. Swanson, I'm so glad you're here with us today for our women's studies class. As you know, uh, well, as you don't know actually, but like we have the men meet separately than the women, so we're gonna come together at the halfway point. So if it's okay, I'm gonna ask you to join the men right now, but you're welcome to join us for the rest of the conversation uh, when we get to that point. And he's like, oh, okay, sounds good. He's like almost to the door and I'm like, by the way, Today's topic is menstruation. Looking forward to your thoughts. <laughs> Needless to say, he did not uh, join us for the rest of the class or talk to me for the rest of the day. <laughs> um, but that's it. Thanks. <laughs>
Hey, that is going to do it for us on this episode of Madison Story Slam. Tune in next week for the conclusion of the stories from our event. There will be blood. There's going to be more blood in those stories. So if you're squeamish, I don't know, just wrap up in a nice blanket, get comfortable, and uh, we don't want you to faint and fall from a height. So just lay down on the couch, put on the stories, have a good time. We really hope we get to see you at our March 17th event at the Wilmar Center. That's Saturday, March 17th. The theme is big, so come ready to tell and hear some great stories based on that theme. If you can make a story fit that theme, and I'm sure you can, we want to hear that story. And don't forget, May 12th, we're doing our new event at Mr. Roberts. It's called Read It and Weep. We want you to come read your old journal entries, letters, short stories, schoolwork, whatever it is. Anything you wrote before the age of 18 or something that you've written that you have at least 10 years separation from. Thank you for tuning in. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. And as always, I love you.